Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. And I'm so happy that you're here because I believe God's word will strengthen you to do all that he has called you to do and to be the person that he has called you to be. Now, let us receive the holy tithes and offerings. We're going to bring them into the storehouse of God. And let's look at two verses in Acts chapter 10 that will boost our faith to believe God for a special blessing. Acts chapter 10, verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Now, we know that Cornelius is going to become very soon the first convert to the Christian faith. It says that he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So he was a giver and also he had a very strong prayer life. Verse four. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Let me say that it is possible to provoke God through your prayers and giving in a way where God releases something extraordinary into your life. Praise the Lord. This is not often talked about. Uh, I think it's actually uh, quite a few that know about it, but it's something that's so special that it's not often talked about. But when we think about the word provoke, sometimes we view it in a negative sense, such as maybe provoking someone to anger or provoking a dog to bite or something negative. But in a positive way, in a very holy way, you can walk with the Lord with a prayerful life and you can be so consistent and so just tied to the heart of God with your giving that you can actually cause God to step back and say, wow, look at that person. I'm going to do something special for them. They are so honoring me with their giving and I see their prayers, but their giving just is so consistent and just that they just keep on giving. They just keep on giving that God says, you know what? I'm going to do something special. And those prayers and the giving were established in heaven as a memorial and God released a blessing upon Cornelius. He and his whole household were privileged to hear the gospel preached. Cornelius got saved. He was the first one to come into the kingdom as a Gentile. Praise God. His whole family got saved. Well, pastor Stephen, God just randomly chose him. No, he provoked God through his prayers and through his giving. And you can do the same thing. And I think with Cornelius, we see a great example of consistency. In other words, we're not reviewing a three month track pattern, but this is somebody who believes in the Lord God of Israel. And although he's not, as we would say, born again, he says, I want to honor this God that I serve. And so he prays to God and he also is just sowing seed. He's giving offerings. Now he would know from the Jewish teaching that the tithe is holy and the tithe already belongs to the Lord. But on top of the tithe, he's giving offerings, he's giving offerings and he did it 
so consistently, so often that he provoked God to release a very beautiful blessing into his life. Now you can't make God do it. You can't twist God's arm. We're not talking about something like that, but we all, we are talking about something that is tying into a spiritual law where you, yes, you absolutely can touch God's heart and it triggers a release. And it could even be a legacy type release that causes something so profound to take place in your life that it goes down in history. And here we are today talking about Cornelius and something that happened to him right around 2000 years ago. And we're still talking about it today. So this would be a legacy blessing. We see this principle first established in the old Testament in the book of first Samuel chapter two, verse 29. Now it is in earlier portions of scripture, but here it's laid out just point blank for anybody to take it and run with it. Who would believe it and practice it? Verse 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And you have some in church today. You have those Christians that say, oh, tithes and offerings, that's not important. God just wants your heart. Well, how can God have your heart if, if, you, if he doesn't have your, if he doesn't have lordship over your finances? All of these things that people say that they think are spiritual actually unveil their lack of spirituality. Because if God truly has your heart, he also is the Lord over your finances, and you're going to honor him with your finances as he instructed. And we see corruption in the priesthood where Eli and particularly his sons are doing things that are bringing dishonor to the house of God. And a lot of that had to do with the way that the offerings were treated. Now we know there was a lot of other stuff going on that was completely out of order, direct, direct sinful. But if you start to compromise in these areas of the way God wants the structure to be done in this house, and it was very clear that the priest had understanding of this with all the offerings. If you, if you dishonor that, then it's not going to go well for you. Verse 30. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said, indeed, that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor. Think about Cornelius for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Have you ever met not talking about unbelievers. Have you ever met Christians who lightly esteem God's requirements financially, God's instructions financially? And they say, oh, we don't need to do that today. We're, we're under grace. <laughs> well, if you're under grace, where's the grace of giving? <laughs> you know, and they, they throw all these things out. And really what they're doing by not participating in God's kingdom plan is they are placing them themselves in a place where God cannot bless them the way that he would want to. Why? Because they're dishonoring the Lord. It's very, very important. But here's something I want you to take the heart. God said, for those who honor me, I will honor. I want to tell you a secret. And I might not ever say this again because it's sacred in some ways, I want to stand on the pulpit and shout it because I know how real it is. 
But in other ways, it's very, very special. And I don't always bring this forth in such detail, but let me say this. You absolutely can provoke God to release a blessing into your life through your prayers and your giving. You absolutely can. Well, Pastor Stephen, I, I, I tried that for two months. Nothing happened. <laughs> it's hard to build a memorial in two months. I would, I would just say, just stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. And there'll come a point if it, you're just pouring it on, pouring it on, that God just says, you know what? I'm going to have to do something for my son, for my daughter. They have shown such honor that they have moved my heart. And it might take a couple of years but eventually, you can, you can provoke God in a very righteous way to move. Yes, you can. We see it in the Word of God. So that's something I would like for you to take to heart today as you're continuing to honor the Lord with the, with the tithe, as you're continuing to honor the Lord with offerings. Consider this in your heart because I believe you are moving towards something where God can release special honor upon your life. And it could be something that alters your entire financial picture. Not only, not only for like something that, Oh, maybe, you know, like for a, a year or two, you know, it changes. I'm talking about it could change your whole life or even years later, people are still talking about it. Maybe you live your life out, go to be with the Lord, yet people are still talking about it. And certainly Certainly, and it can actually establish a memorial in heaven. There are many memorials in heaven that are built on sacrifice, that are built on obedience, and they're all named. They're all named. And when you get to heaven, may you find out that there was one built for you based upon your prayers and your giving. Now, of course, there will be many Christians, they'll get to heaven and they'll see those memorials and they'll think, well, isn't that something? I, I wish I'd have known about that while I was on the earth. I might have tried to have done something about that to have one for myself. Praise the Lord. But now, listen, but now you know you can provoke the Lord to release honor upon your life, a special blessing of honor if you'll honor Him. In this way, praise God. Just something to consider. Something as you walk around and pray in the spirit, pray in tongues and ponder God's kingdom and God's glory. Something to chew on. Hallelujah. And I believe you'll see something beautiful done. Praise God. Now, Father, bless your people as they give today. Bless your people. And let that just really take root in their heart. That you honor those who honor you. You will. You will. And I thank you, Father God. You, you, want, you want to bless your people in this special portion, this special way. I thank you that they're moving towards it. <laughs> I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Your hand is about to open for many in a very special way. Because they've been at it for quite some time. They're not rookies in this. And you've seen that and you have taken that to heart. But Father, we thank you. You're the greatest record keeper in the universe. <laughs> you know every detail and you see every prayer prayed every tear sown every seed sown and I thank you that something extremely special is about to be released in the lives of those who will continue to honor you father we bless you in Jesus name amen
Now, those of you that would like to mail in your tithe, your offering, please send it to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717, Moravian Falls, North Carolina, 28654. If you want to bring your tithe, your offering in online, you can do so anytime, day or night, literally from any place in the world. Please visit our website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage that says give. It has a red heart on it. You can click on that. You'll see the direct area that you can bring in the tithe and you can bring in an offering. We have different projects. If you would like to sow an offering into one of those projects, be mindful that as you do that, God will honor those who honor him. Mm, mm, mm. Praise God. You are blessed in Jesus name. Praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles today and go over to the exciting book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3, and I want us to start today in verse 9. And we're talking about what happens when the Jordan River overflows its banks. Mm, praise God. Hallelujah. Father, as we jump into your word, we ask that your word would jump into us as a living word. And that it would lodge within our hearts and produce the 100-fold return of righteousness and peace and joy. We give you praise, praise, praise. We thank you now in Jesus' name. And we all agree and say, Amen. Verse 9. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. All of the ites, all representing different types of spiritual opposition. We have a lot of symbolism here, a lot of Old Testament, what we would, uh, or what theologians would call types and shadows that we can learn uh, from a new covenant perspective, that as we are marching towards the heavenly city, living for Jesus, possessing our inheritance, we are also driving the ites out of our lives and out of the promised land that God has for us as well. Praise God. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves, twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still, and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. We have more <laughs> symbolic word pictures here. The city that is, inside, that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over 
opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Praise God. Mm-mm. Now, I'd like to put a picture up. I want you to take a look at this beautiful picture of the Jordan River. This is the modern-day Jordan River. If you were to get on a plane and fly to Israel and land in Tel Aviv and uh, start heading south and uh, get on down to the southern area, uh, just just above the uh, the Dead Sea, you would see the Jordan River flowing, of course, from north to south with a uh, Quite a, quite a deep drop in elevation as it goes down. But you'll see there the beautiful Jordan River that you're looking at. And I know uh, many people, when they first come to Israel and see the Jordan River, the same thing happened to me. When you see it, your first initial thought is, um, wow, I guess I had a greater expectation. It sure is small. <laughs> and, there was, and actually, the first time I ever saw it, the tour guide happened to show it to us at a place where it was probably the smallest actual crossing. And when I saw it there, I was just like, wow. And of course, more information helps you to understand what's actually taking place. Where I saw it at, which was a place you could almost, if you're a really good athlete, you could almost maybe even jump over it from one side to the other, which would be from the Jordan side to the Israeli side. But the thing is that the picture that you're looking at right now of the Jordan River, you have to realize that's only 3% of what used to be the Jordan River. 97% of it, you're not looking at. It's being diverted. It's going off in different directions. You've had a lot of water treaties, a lot of fighting and bickering. Uh, I wouldn't say fights of war, but a lot of verbal fighting, a lot of heavy frustration between who gets the rights to the water. So 97% of the Jordan River does no longer flow through the Jordan River. It's diverted for water sources from uh, drinking water that's filtered to uh, irrigation to on and on it goes. Everybody is desperate for fresh water in that part. And so you not, not only have Israel and Jordan, you even have Lebanon, uh, even Syria. You have these places that are trying to tie into the Jordan River and get their fair share of the water. So the Jordan River you're looking at right there is only 3% of what the mighty Jordan used to be. Now, let's put another picture up on the screen for you to take a look at and to consider. This second picture is a picture of the Allenby Bridge. And this bridge will take you from the Israeli side. And if, uh, if you drive over the bridge, then you will be over on the Jordanian side. The bridge was built. There's actually two of them. The old one was built in 1920. And so you're looking at a picture literally from 1920. And while you're looking at that picture, I want you to understand that there have been tremendous floods before all of the modern day uh, pools of the water have taken place, you know, back in the 1800s, 1700s, and things like that. Now, you, we start getting too far back, there's no cameras. But I want you to understand when you're looking at that 1920 picture of the Allenby Bridge, there was one time the water was all the way up to the very bottom of that bridge, and it was going underneath 
with a tremendous rate of flow. And also look, and you'll see how wide the river was at that time. And it's not overflowing its banks right there. That was just the normal width of the river back in 1920. And it's a lot wider than the previous image you just saw. And also when that began to pick up, boy, the water could rise and it rose all the way to that uh, point right there by the Allenby bridge. And you have various sources uh, that are feeding the Jordan river. Yes, you have the snow from Mount Hermon melting off and so forth, but the primary water sources of the Jordan are actually springs. There's two major springs that just feed a tremendous amounts of water into it, uh, four uh, primary springs, but two major ones. So my friends, this thing at one time used to be a phenomenal river. Now let's go to the third picture. And you're, uh, let's go back in time. The picture that you're looking at right now was taken in the year 1935. This is what happens to the mighty Jordan before, you know, it got constricted down to the little 3% that we initially saw. This is what used to happen to the Jordan River when it would overflow its banks during the harvest season of the barley harvest. And uh, you would have these overflows in the months of January and February, and it would just go completely beyond its banks. And it would not be unusual. I have read uh, reports that sometime uh, the water would spread out to a half mile. And you can see in that picture that the Jordan has completely overflowed its banks, and it's quite spread out. What's probably difficult to see in that image is that if you were to look in the upper right, you can actually see the Allenby Bridge completely underwater. <laughs> I mean, the only part you're seeing is the above, above the bridge part. Everything else is underneath the water, uh, and, and it's wide, too. And so I want you to understand that the Jordan today it's not like the Jordan of ancient time. In other words, the people with Joshua, the Israelites, they're being told, we're about to cross, now think about this, we're about to cross the Jordan River during what? Flood plain at full, 100% flow, not only 100% flow, overflow. So this, I mean, you're going, to need, you're going to need a miracle that you cannot cross this without a miracle. Not only that, we're not just trying to get 100 people over. We're trying to get over a million people over to the other side. Woo! Glory to God. Mm -mm. It's amazing. It is very important that you consider that God's miracle power overrides all opposing circumstances. Mm. For example, the circumstances in your life, which so often are unfavorable, would shout and scream and say, you absolutely can't cross now. And, you know, you know, circumstances always say, basically, you can never cross, right? <laughs> but much less at the overflow, all the banks are overflown and I mean, I mean, we're looking at like a half mile of water, and this is, this is dangerous. Not only that, I mean, it's raging. It's raging. You can't swim across that. Not even an Olympic swimmer can swim across that. So circumstances shout and say, not only can you not cross, you certainly can't cross now. But I stand here today as a servant of the Lord, 
presenting God's word to you with the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the word. And I want to tell you today that when God says go, you can cross despite the flow. Praise God. Oh, it's too much of a flow. It's dangerous. My friends, when God says today you go, then get up and go because something is going to happen. God has already instructed his leader, Joshua, exactly what's going to happen. Joshua takes that holy word and shares it with the people. And the people are excited because they know it's time for a miracle. I'm here today to say get ready. God's miracle power is ready to roll in your life. And you're about to cross into the promised land that God has for you. You're about to possess something very, very powerful in your life. And all of this stuff out there may say not today, but God says, oh yes, today's the day. And you shall rise and go in the power of the Spirit because God is with you. Mm-mm-mm. Woo! Glory to God. Now, let's look at something very, very beautiful here. In verse 17, then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Now, let me comment on this by, first of all, reading from the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus chapter 14, verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters were walled to them on their right hand and on their left. Praise God. I want to dig just for a moment into God's style. God has a style where he has order. He has structure. He's not nervous. He's not sweating and panicking and he, he knows what he's doing. He, he, he knows what he's doing. Praise God. And I like his style. And I want to express that just for a moment through this expression of no mud, no mud. Of course, when they cross the Red Sea, and as we turn back to Judges chapter 3, in that final verse of that chapter, we see no mud as they walked through the Jordan River. God not only stopped the water, God did a miracle within a miracle. Woo, praise God. And dried up all that mud and goop, praise God. And they walked across on dry ground, praise the Lord. Now, before I share just a little bit about God's style, let me understand, uh, let me share that I understand that God's not afraid to work with mud or dirt or whatever it might be. God created all of these elements. Obviously, He likes them, but God doesn't roll around in the mud, and He doesn't want you to either. Yes, God made man from the dust of the earth. God's not afraid to get some dirt underneath His nails. And we also know that our beloved Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 6, He worked with a little bit of dust also, praise God. When He had said these things, He, that would be Jesus, He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And He anointed the eyes of the blind man 
with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. So Jesus is not afraid to reach down and get his hands dirty either. Praise God. But I would like jump. I would like to jump back to more what would be a consistent uh, style element of God. First of all, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant are representatives of God, and as a priest of God, you can't just wake up in the morning and say, "You know what? Today I know I'm going to be carrying the Ark." Where's my old cut-off uh, blue jeans? Where's that old? pair of tennis shoes. We're probably going to get muddy today. Give me that old wore out pair of shoes and give me an old, you know, like a casual wore out t-shirt. I've got to go carry the ark today. You and I both know that's a no go. The priest had a prescribed manner of clothing. They had to wear exactly what God instructed them to wear or somebody's going to die. Now, thank God today we're in the new covenant. We're in grace and you can have different uh, styles of personality in the way that you present yourself. But I would say this as a minister consistently, God looks at his ministers as rep representatives of him. And even you yourself, even if you're not in the fivefold ministry, you are still an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ to win the lost to him through the ministry of reconciliation, which is a ministry that every Christian has. And so, you know what people do look at you. They do consider what it is that you wear. And yes, yes, we're familiar with Elijah the prophet, Pastor Stephen, but, but, but he wore leather. He was biker style. That's cool. I can understand that. And he was chosen and anointed by God. And I'm also familiar with John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, another prophet out in the wilderness, a little bit rough and tough. Praise the Lord. Obviously he was, but along with those men's prophetic ministry, Elijah and John. And even though John was the son of a priest, you have to understand that while they were used by God as prophets, they never with that type of attire, they never according to God's law could enter into the temple. They were not allowed to go into the Holy of Holies for the annual, excuse me, the, the twice daily offerings required a very certain dress code, and it was excellence. Everything about it was excellence. And it goes to the highest level when you look at the attire of the high priest. Everything had meaning, had representation, had symbolism, but it was all excellence from the way his hair was groomed to the way the beard was groomed to all of the clothing to the instructions with fingernails, everything, everything had certain requirements and God's not going to have his priest standing out in the middle of that river, slopping through mud with mud splashing all up all over the ark and stuff like that. No, God's not going to let that happen. And I would suggest that as we look at his style, why, yes, I understand Jesus made some clay. Okay, I understand that. But as we look at the consistent style of God, is that God stays out of the mud. And I would suggest that you do too. <laughs> and I would also suggest that you not clothe yourself in a way that pulls you into mud. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Mm -mm. No legalism, but the Holy Spirit is your teacher 
and we have plenty of instructions in the Word of God. And there, there are many different expressions of ministry. But I have found that when I look at the priesthood, and I've done a lot of study over the last year about the priesthood, there was a holy dress code. And God required that those men dress a certain way. I don't think I should come to the pulpit looking like a slob. Looking like I haven't brushed my teeth in 21 days. Looking like I haven't combed my hair or had a bath or shower in two months. What would you think of me as a representation of the Lord if I presented myself in such a way? If I walked up here with mud all over my shoes, all over my pants, you would think he does not take his office seriously. That's, that's exactly what that would express. Mm-mm-mm. No, it doesn't mean we have to go around in three-piece business suits or, you know, that type of attire. <clears throat> but I do think that we should consider these things because God doesn't want us to be in the mud. And let me say this. Psalm 40, David gave us some amazing insight concerning God's style. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. So David's obviously crying out for some help in a certain area. David says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Well, Pastor Stephen, God loves clay. Well, if God loves clay so much, how come he didn't leave David in it? God loves mud. Well, how come he didn't just say, David, enjoy it. That's a good representation. Just roll in the mud. No, God doesn't want his children in the mud. God doesn't want you living a life that dishonors him. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet up on a rock. There's his style, not living in the mud, standing on the rock of his word. Woo, praise God. Standing on the finished work of Calvary that Jesus has made available for us and established my steps. Praise the Lord. Get out of the mud. Get out of all that junk of the world. Hallelujah. All the garbage of the world. I'm not saying get out of the world because we can't. We're in the world. But we're in the world, but we're not of it. Mm, mm, mm. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we give you praise today. Joshua. Back to Joshua. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm -mm. They're on dry ground. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle to live in this world without mud on your face. It's a miracle. The cleansing blood of Jesus washing you clean from guilt or shame or things that would stain your garments of salvation. Mm -mm. Dry ground. Dry ground. God doesn't want any muddy priest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you, I exhort you, get out of the mud. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. Glory to God. Holy Spirit's working right now, and he's getting the mud off of you. Muddy mentalities, muddy ways of thinking. Yes, muddy actions, yes. But these muddied up ways of thinking. Don't, don't muddy the waters. Get in the pure, clean water, the flow of the Spirit, the river of God. Mm, mm, mm. Now let's continue on. Joshua chapter 3. 
We're back now at verse 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. Praise God. Verse 15. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. Now, the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water. Fascinating. Fascinating. I want to go now into a spiritual law. We're talking about a law of faith that is constant and it is consistent and it will never let you down. And here it is. The law of faith is that miracles never happen until your feet get wet. I want to say it again. The law of faith is that miracles never happen until your feet get wet. Woohoo! Glory, glory to God. So, many of you, you need to step into the water. And as you step into the water, the waters will part. But you step in by faith. Step in by faith, and the waters will part. Now, I do understand that in the Old Testament, for God's people to step out, they had to have a direct word from God. And Joshua heard the direct word. God literally told him, get everybody ready because you're crossing over today. The priests are going to go first. They're going to stand in the center of the Jordan river. I'm going to, I'm going to back the, the waters up. And the moment they come into the water, I'm going to back it up. So he got that from the Lord. And in the new Testament, yes, you can also receive a very clear, distinct word from the Lord where the Lord would say, in a sense, step out, do this, put your feet in the water. But so often also in the New Testament, it's not always like a voice from God that says, now step out, although you could have that. But even should you have that, that's, I would call that rare, something super special. So often, though, as we pray, we get this inward guidance through the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us, this inward witness our spirit witnessing with what the Holy Spirit is directing us to do. And you get this strong inward knowing I'm supposed to go in this particular direction. Praise God. Praise God. And so you need to be very sensitive to that because either way, whether it is a very strong direct word from the Lord or a very strong inner leading that you're just picking up over and over of a certain thing that you're supposed to do, if you will engage with it by stepping into the water, the spiritual law will work for you. Now, the law of faith requires corresponding works or corresponding actions. In aviation, there is what is known as the law of lift. Now, please listen very attentively because I'm going to share something that is going to be essential for your knowledge and is going to help you move forward greatly, greatly in God's plan for your life. In aviation, there is what is known as the law of lift. 
Now, yesterday, I just flew back from Los Angeles, nonstop flight, LAX, to Charlotte. And as we were coming into Charlotte, we had to loop back around and get lined up for the final approach. And when we were making that turn, the pilot did a very steep bank and we just, you know, the airplane banked and I'm sitting on the side on the window. And as we bank steeply and sharply like that, I am almost looking straight down. Now it's not, um, we're not completely sideways. <laughs> I mean, we're not in the fighter jet, but he, he did a pretty steep bank and I could look over and it's almost like I'm looking straight down. And for some reason, whenever I'm in a place like that, where you're turned, you know, kind of far over like that. I mean, when you're just flying normal and you look out, you don't really think anything, but you get it to a steep bank like that. You do kind of get that thought. Hmm. I wonder what's really holding us up because I sure hope it works. <laughs> but how many of you know that that law of lift, it'll keep on working for that airplane as long as you continue to follow the principles that govern that law. How many of you know, obviously there was no crash because here I am standing here today. But the same law of lift works the same way as the law of faith in the sense that both of them are consistent with the law of lift. If you obey it, that plane, no matter how big it is, if it's designed right and everything's working the way it should, if you obey the law of lift, that aircraft is going up and it will stay up. Praise the Lord. And the law of faith. If you obey it and you step out in faith, I'm just telling you, it's a law. The waters are going to part. When you've heard from the Lord and you're on assignment and you're moving forward and you know, the Holy Spirit is leading you forward and you step out in faith, your feet hit that water. I'm just telling you, I don't know how it works, but the waters start backing up. They start backing up, but you'll never see it happen until your feet get wet. Praise the Lord. Now, here's what a lot of people do. They say, well, Pastor Stephen, this is not really a fair example because, you know, you're talking about biblical things and I, we have a lot of questions and uncertainties there, but over here in the area of science with the law of lift, we understand that we know that's going to work. We don't really know about God's stuff that you're talking about, but with the law of lift, we understand that. So we put our faith in that. Let me, let me share something amazing. There is not one scientist on the face of the earth. There's not one mathematician walking on this planet who can explain to you how the law of lift actually works. Oh, Pastor Stephen, that can't be with all of our science and all of our, our technology. That simply can't be. I'm now posting up on the screen an image from a magazine called Scientific American. And there it is, an article written in February 1, 2020. Here it is. No one can explain why planes stay in the air. Let me reemphasize that title. No one, there's not anybody on earth who can. No one can explain why planes stay in the air. And I want to tell you something else. No one can explain why when you step out in faith, the waters start going back. 
You can't, they can't explain it. But let me tell you this, the law of faith works and the law of lift works. You don't have to understand it. You just have to work it. But let me continue with this reality that this fake reserve that some people say, well, I don't know if we can trust God's ways, but we can trust science. Who, who do you think established those laws that science has figured out? God did. The scientists sure didn't do it. The laws were there the whole time. They just, they just began to get insight into it. But the truth is, they still cannot explain how it works. On a strictly mathematical level, engineers know how to design planes that will stay aloft. But equations don't explain why aerodynamic lift occurs. This is the takeaway from the story. Equations don't explain why aerodynamic lift occurs. There are two competing theories that illuminate the forces and factors of a lift. Both are incomplete explanations. Aerodynamicists have recently tried to close the gaps in understanding. Still, Scientific, scientific American says, still, no consistent consensus exists. Well, you get, you get somebody that thinks they're smart. They'll say, well, what happens, Pastor Steve? And it's simple. The wind goes underneath the wing, and it creates a lift, and the plane goes up. No, no, that's, that's not what makes it go up. There's others that say, oh, oh, well, we know what it is. It's the wind going over the top of the wing, and that creates a lift. No, that doesn't explain it either. And there are those that try to explain it very eloquently, but the bottom line is, is that the world's most brilliant minds throw up their hands and say, we still don't understand it, but we just know that if we obey it, we follow those principles, it starts going up. Mm, mm, mm. They simply tapped into the law of lift that God created. Mm, mm. And there is the law of faith that God created. And if you tap into it, the waters start rolling back. Wait, they, they can't roll back right now. We're in a recession. The law of faith will push them back no matter how bad the recession is. Oh, it, it can't happen now. Now it's not a good time. It doesn't matter what time it is. If you apply the law, it's going to push them back. You can fly at daytime, nighttime. You can fly when there's a recession. You can, you can fly when there's an economic boom. You can fly anytime you want to. If you obey the law of lift, you're going up. And you can get across that Jordan River anytime you want to when you step out in faith on the word of the Lord. It is a law, and it will work for you, but you'll never know it until your feet get wet. Whoa, I'm preaching today. I'm preaching today, and I know in my heart, I can sense you're getting it, aren't you? You're getting it. <laughs> Woo, I don't know if I can trust God. Well, then why are you getting on that airplane? He established that law too. Why do you believe that law that God established, but you doubt this one over here? Step out. Any law, any law. That God has formed and created. When you obey the principles of stepping out on His Word, woo, there go the waters moving back. And here's what I like about it. No muddy, messy miracles. 
clean miracles. We didn't get mud all over ourselves. We're not trying to do this in the energy of our flesh, rolling in the mud. No, 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 no. Let God take you across with a miracle where the, gra the ground is dried up and you go right way. You do it right. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. God loves doing miracles. And when he does miracles, he does them in style. Not getting mud all over your nice clothes. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Aren't you ready for a wholesome good miracle? Mm -mm. Whoo, praise God. In other words, you enjoy the miracle. You're not thinking, well, this is great. We're crossing over. Man, I've got to go to the laundromat when we get over there. Whoo, when we take that city of Jericho, I hope they got a laundromat because, man, I just soiled my clothes, just ruined my good shoes. <laughs> Don't you like everything about God? Don't you like everything about the way that he does it? He always does everything right. Mm -mm. Get to the other side. You're like, wow, that was all right. God, I like the way you do it. Lord, we should do this again sometime. <laughs> do a new type of miracle, but let's do another one again sometime. Wow. One more, one more, one more. Exodus. No, Matthew. Matthew 14, Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Mm -mm. See, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. And Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he, that would be Jesus, Jesus said, what? He said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, the miracle doesn't happen until your feet get wet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. Well, Pastor Steve, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that water won't hold you up. No, but the law of faith will. It'll hold anybody up if they operate it. Mm. You fly the plane right, law of lift holds you up. It's no mystery. None of this is rocket science once you've got it, once you've got the, you know, the formulas figured out. <laughs> it's not hard. Amen. Once you've heard from God, we're talking from the spiritual side. Once you've heard from God and you've got the timing right and you get out of the boat when he says, come. Yeah, okay. I've got my green light. I'm going for it. Well, you, did you sign your will before you tried that? I don't need to sign no will. I'll be back in just a few minutes. Get your cameras ready, boys, because you're about to see something you've never seen before. When people get on the airplane, do people go, did you sign a wheel? You could die. The thing could crash. Well, yeah, if we, if we disobey the laws and do something stupid, sure. But as long as you operate that law, you, you're going to stay up. Well, the plane's turning over a little bit. Yeah, that's okay. We're still within the boundaries of the plane. We're fine. Get a nice view. Get a different view. Might as well relax and enjoy the ride. Praise God. Lift your hands. Father, I pray for those that <laughs> love the boat, the comfort of the boat. But they're, they're getting in the spirit. They're going to have to make a step. Mm -mm. And they're getting real close to that word. Come. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord, that the law of faith will be in operation. Works 24-7. And when their invitation comes, it'll work for them. I thank you, Father, for those that stand on the bank of the Jordan. They see the blessing on the other side. 
And they see also how wide the Jordan is in the, in the overflow. Whoa. Yeah, it's a, it's a big overflow. It's, in, it's an impassable situation. But Lord, you're going to roll the waters back as soon as we step into the river. So we thank you, Father God, that as we go with your word, we go with your instructions. The water will part and will cross on dry ground. I thank you, Father, for the journey of the Christian faith. We're all at different places, different points. But I do sense for many, however, that it's about time to put a foot into the water. And I thank you, Father, that as these acts of faith are carried forth, I thank you that the law of faith will be evidenced. Now we give you praise. We give you glory. Bless your people to know when it's the right time to act, when it's time to go. We thank you when it's time to put the foot into the water. Father, we thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory, glory, glory to God. This is why it's so important to pray also. So important to pray and walk in the wisdom of the Lord so you step in right when you're supposed to. Mm -mm -mm. Praise God. Glory, glory to God. Perhaps you're watching today. And you have never take you've never taken the step of faith to make Christ your Savior and Lord. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life, the most important thing you will ever do in your life, and you can do it right now. Why don't you call upon the Lord and let Him save you from sin? And He'll take you into His heart and He'll become your Savior. Pray this prayer after me right now. Say, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross. You paid the penalty for my sins. And you rose on the third day. Jesus, wash all of my sins away with your precious blood. Write my name in your book of life. I give my heart to you now. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me right now. I take you as my Lord and Savior. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has heard your prayer. You now belong to Him. Praise God. All of His laws, all of His principles will work for you as a child of God. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Lift your hands. God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you thanksgiving. Just praise Him. God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Amen. Let us now take Holy Communion together. Why don't you grab some unleavened bread, grab some grape juice, and let's prepare our hearts to take the Holy Communion. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, there's something about the high priest, and there were quite a few of them throughout history and up until the second temple was destroyed. All of the priests were men, and because they had their own weaknesses, their own struggles, their own things to overcome, they ministered with mercy, 
Why? Because they knew what they're, they're trying to overcome too. They're trying to drive out the Girgashites, the Havites, out of their heart. Not, out, not only out of the land, these issues in their hearts, they're trying to, they're trying to overcome. And Jesus also, because he lived his life as a man, he understands every struggle that you have. He is a merciful high priest. And he's here today to give you strength to continue forward and to live a life that brings him honor, not only in public, but even more importantly, in private. Praise God. Father, we thank you for the bread, the juice. We consecrate it. Through this prayer now, that this is now the body and the blood of Jesus. And Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, we thank you that we have a merciful high priest. And that we can come before you in his name. And we thank you that we have right standing with you by being in him. Now, Father, as we receive the flesh of Jesus... We thank you for those designated appointed times when we must put our foot in the water. We thank you that as we do, we trust that you are with us and that the waters will roll back and that we will achieve the spiritual lift that you promise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us as we move forward. We give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. Let's receive the flesh of Christ. You don't need to understand all of the spiritual laws, how they work. You just need to obey them. Praise the Lord. And up you go. Back the waters roll. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. We ask that if we have committed any sins, knowingly or even unknowingly, that you would forgive us and you would wash us with the blood of Christ. We thank you that we are bought with the blood of Jesus. We have been ransomed. He has made the payment himself so that we can go free from sin and spiritual death. We thank you that we belong to you. We know whose we are. We know where we're going. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We celebrate his blood. We proclaim his death until he comes. And we thank you that he is coming soon to take his own to be with him. Father, we receive the blood of Jesus in his name. Amen. Let's receive. Praise God. My friends, I speak blessing to you today. I see great things breaking forth in your life. I see the angels standing with you there, ready to help you put your foot in the water. And God, you'll know, you'll know, you will know God is with you. Praise God. Enjoy the journey of the crossing. Thank you for watching. I'll see you back next time. Bye-bye.